Welcome to the KPB Podcast. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At KPB, we don't think money should dictate who has the opportunity to play college baseball or who gets to make informed decisions throughout the college baseball recruiting process. And all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the KPB podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the KPB podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. A few housekeeping items before we get to our outstanding podcast episode with Coach Clay Cox from Paris Junior College. Guys, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Get your notepad ready. Get your pen ready because Coach Cox drops absolute fire on this podcast episode. A couple items before that. Number one, we've got the Keep Playing Baseball Benefit Dinner coming up in just over two months. It's going to take place on Saturday, October 5th at Wild Horse Golf Club in Davis, California. The Benefit Dinner is our biggest fundraiser of the year. It's, it's one of the things that allows us to do what we do and provide our content 100% free. So we really appreciate your support. Tickets are on sale at a 10% discount through the month of July. So please act fast. Tickets sold out to last year's event. We're hoping to do the same thing again this year. You can buy tickets and get more information at www.keepplayingbaseball.org slash benefit dinner. That's keepplayingbaseball.org slash benefit dinner. It's going to be a great night. Obviously, it supports a great cause. So please either purchase your ticket for the event or consider buying a non-attendee ticket and get entered to win the door prizes. Number two, if you get value from this podcast, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take the time to give us five stars on whatever platform you listen to and leave us a review. Can't tell you how important these reviews are for us spreading the information about our podcast and our other resources to the players and families that need it most. So if you guys could take a few minutes and help us out with that, we'd really appreciate it. We've got your content coming up next. So sit tight. Here's Clay Cox from Paris Junior College. What's up, guys? We're excited to welcome Paris JC head coach Clay Cox to the podcast Cox has been at the helm of the Dragon Baseball program since 2016 and with the program since 2015. Over this time, he has developed a reputation for dominating in the classroom and on the field. His team is consistently among the nation's leaders in Team GPA, and his squad has consistently moved more than a dozen players on to four-year programs or professional baseball each year. Prior to his time at Paris JC, Cox spent time coaching at University of West Alabama and Rockdale High School, in addition to coaching in the Texas Collegiate Summer League, where his teams had a ton of success. Along with his role as head coach, Cox is also the founder of Infield U and very active in sharing his coaching practices with the baseball community. Cox brings a wealth of knowledge to the KPB podcast and we're pumped to pick his brain about recruiting, program building, academics, infield play, and much, much more. Stay tuned because this episode of the KPB Podcast with Coach Clay Cox starts right now. Coach Cox, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate you having me, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, why don't we start off with a typical question and if you can, just give us a rundown of your career in baseball and then how you got to be the head coach there at Paris JC. Yeah, for sure. So definitely kind of took a little bit different route than, than a lot of guys have. I started uh, when, I, when I finished up at Texas A&M, I started coaching in high school, uh, coached football and baseball, was an assistant baseball coach and football coach, worked my time at James Bowie High School for a couple of years, was fortunate enough to, at 23 to get my first 
my first head coaching job, uh, Jacksboro out in West towards West Texas. And then spent a year in Jacksboro, got to move a little closer to home, went to Rockdale, had two really good years there, had a really bunch of good guys that could really play. Um, and after five years in high school ball, decided that, you know what, I want to take a shot. I'd like to coach college baseball and spring of 2013, I sent out about 300 blind emails, um, you know, to colleges that I was trying to get in with and just anywhere I could find an opportunity at the next level. And, Got a bunch of no replies, got, you know, a few, hey, you're on the right track. We don't have anything. And I was fortunate enough to get one yes. And that was from Coach Gary Rundles at the University of West Alabama, uh, Division Two in the Gulf South Conference. And got to go out there and spend two years at UWA, won a conference championship in 15, and then came over uh, after my GA was up to Paris as the assistant for one year under Coach Darren Clark, who had, had done a great job and really instilled a lot of tradition on this program here at Paris. And then after 19 years, he decided that he was headed out to New Mexico to take the uh, AD job at New Mexico Junior College. And I slid over into the head chair, and that was three or four years ago, and now we're here. So and now you're rolling. Man, okay. So I want to break down recruiting. I want to get into what you guys are doing at Paris. I want to talk about infield play. But before we do that, man, for those of us who want to bring a little Texas vibe into our home states, give me two or three songs we should make sure are on that BP list. Oh, man. Um, I, I could give you about a thousand. <laughs> um, you know, it's, a, it, it's, it's a great state. Um, I would tell you I'm a big Gary T. Nunn fan. Uh, what I like about Texas or London Homesick Blues, either one of those by Gary P. Nunn. Uh, Corpus Christi Bay by Robert Earl Keane. And then, you know, Somewhere Down in Texas by Jason Bolin. Um, I think all of those are great songs that give you a little bit of a Texas vibe and kind of some, some red dirt Texas country music in there. So that, that, that ought to get you started. Gotcha, man. I'm going to get my boots out of the closet. I'll be throwing that music <laughs> on once we get off here. But um, now that we got the, got the BP soundtrack rolling, let's, uh, let's jump into some recruiting stuff. And many people make the mistake of looking at JC baseball as a backup option or even a last resort. And we both know that's far from the truth. And there's a ton of reasons why kids should play and consider the JUCO route. Give us your best sales pitch for JUCO baseball. Why should more kids consider taking that JUCO route? You know, I think that in the past and, and a long time ago, people looked at JUCO as an option of, you know, during the draft and follow days, hey, it was those guys that were they, they were going to get popped again and they, they needed to go junior college to be able to be draft eligible or their grades weren't good enough. And I think, you know, obviously no more draft and follow. And I think you're even seeing now that it's, it has nothing to do with grades. Um, maybe some some cases, you know, they're not they're not qualifiers out of high school, but. I think, honestly, you know, how many guys hit that growth spurt that freshman year of college and wish they had one more year to go somewhere and develop? Um, you know, you got a chance that freshman year to get bigger, faster, stronger in the weight room if you buy into the program and if you work. It's an opportunity for playing time. You know, a lot of guys, they'll go to a, a big four-year school and they may they may redshirt that freshman year and then maybe get some at-bats their sophomore year. I mean, you go junior college, you have the opportunity to maybe get two or 300 at-bats in that time and be ready to go when you get to a, to a four-year school as a junior, you know, it's a chance to compete. And, you know, in our conference, I mean, we've got guys going left and right to division one. You're basically playing against division one talent every weekend in our conference. So those guys that see you, they know that, Hey, they're playing against guys that are going to be playing division one baseball. These coaches at the four-year levels know the, the, the talent level of the conferences. And it's an opportunity to just get out there and, and get your feet wet. You know, if, if you basically in junior college, being able to play a fall schedule before you get to the spring, you know, you, you've got a chance to be baptized by fire in the fall before you really even have to play a, a true college game. And I think all of those are, are the benefits of going to junior college. You know, in the last three years here, we've had 33 sophomores and 32 of those sophomores have signed to play baseball after Paris and the only one that didn't. He had opportunities as well, but he decided to go the med school route. So you're talking 32 guys that a lot of those guys coming out of high school had one or two junior college offers. Some of them had none. And they here they are, 27 of those guys signed to play Division One. So that opportunity to continue to develop is definitely there. And I think that's got to be your biggest asset is, hey, maybe I'm not quite ready. And do I want to go sit somewhere and just be a part of something? Or do I want to go play every day and be the guy? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It's uh, endless opportunities, especially you mentioned, you know, being able to get your feet wet in the fall. Can you expand on that? Because a lot of guys sitting at home might hear you say, 
you know, you might not be ready for D1, but then at the same time, at the JUCO level, you're playing D1 talent. So how does that fall factor in for a recruit? How does that give them more opportunities? You know, we're going to have boatloads of coaches that are coming out in the fall. Of course, with the, you know, with the NCAA changing the recruiting schedule, schedules are changing a little bit, getting confined some, which means they're just going to have to squeeze in more games in a shorter amount of time. But that fall, I mean, we're going to play on a normal fall day when we play outside competition, roughly 18 innings, you know, two games a day um, and up to, you know, 30 to 40 games between inner squads and outside competitions in the fall. So you're talking for a high school kid. He's playing the his, his same amount of schedule, his same amount of games in the fall that he just played in the spring. And that's that opportunity that now you're talking, I've got 30 games of at-bats against college competition before I get into the spring and I have to I have to play in when it's when it's go time. And that's an opportunity for scouts to see him in the fall. You know, when when you're at a four-year school and you've got three outside competition dates. Inner squads get old. You know, we all, yeah, we've got an inner squad. It's part of what we do. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing that for three straight months, you know how it is. It's almost beating a dead horse sometimes when you have to when you have to put on a jersey and line up against your teammates every day, as opposed to getting to put on and play somebody in a different jersey. There's a different there's a different level of intensity there. Definitely. Definitely. So I can see how you might be using that as as kind of your recruiting sales pitch when you're talking to guys, but Tell me a little bit about how you're finding players who come to play for you at Paris and then kind of, you know, what's your target? What stage in high school do you start actively recruiting guys and making offers? So obviously junior college is a little different. And I think today, obviously with, we are in a generation where we have more information at our fingertips than any time in the past. And so there's so many different ways to find players these days between social media and email and YouTube videos. Everybody has an opportunity to be seen coast to coast internationally. Whereas in the past, before we had all this multitude of information, guys were constricted more regionally to where they played because that was who was able to go see them. Right. And now I think that we've obviously broadened the horizons of where we can recruit and the regions that we can recruit, but we're finding guys, you know, some of the guys that we've had that I've had guys that are in the SEC right now, the first time I ever saw them was on a video they emailed to me. Now, typically we're not going to sign a guy off an email, but Hey, that email and that video may pique my interest enough that I say, Hey, I got to go see that guy play mm-hmm. video. Um, obviously a network, you know, when you've been doing this as long as we have, you, you build your network with, with high school coaches, with travel coaches, with scouts who may see a guy or four-year coaches who say, Hey, you know what? This guy's not ready for, for division one. He's a definite Juco guy. You need to take a look at him. So there's a, a, a a variety of different ways that we're finding players. Um, it's, it's really just, it's beating the pavement and trying to get out and, and go find them before somebody else does. As far as timeline goes, junior college, when I got into it, our, our signing day was January one. So, you know, we had the fall of their senior year to kind of see them a little bit and, and do some things. Then when we got bumped to November with NCAA, it kind of pushed the recruiting schedule up a little bit, you know, really got into that summer before senior year. And now you're looking even more into spring of their junior year, I feel like is is the big, you know, time for us to start finding guys uh, it, as far as. So right now, you know, this last spring, the 2020 guys, those were the guys we were trying to pick out. Now, it's tough with a small staff like we have to be able to go out during the spring season and see those 2020s. So really for us, kind of May starts to pick it up as we get into the summer and travel balls coming along and then rolls into the fall. Um, you know, I think that you, you'll find out at the junior college level, typically we just signed our last guy um, last week. So, you know, mid-July was our last sign. It's not like we're done two years ahead like some of these four-year schools are. You know, we have to continue to – to develop and continue to find guys. Now, if I, I may be on the road and I see a 2022, well, I'm going to throw him on my 2022 spreadsheet in two years. I'm going to go back and just say, Hey, I wonder what happened to that guy, but he's obviously not a mark for me right now because I've got to focus on getting 2019s and 2020s. Um, but that's kind of the, the, the time span for junior college. You know, I mean, once we had a, a season where we had a lot of, a lot of turnover in May, and I had to go out and sign 15 guys in June and July. So I had signed a lot of guys that, that, you know, had already graduated high school. And now 
just so happened that team was one of the best teams we had come through here. And we were, you know, in the regional semifinals, the regional tournament, knocking on the door at Grand Junction uh, just because they were our kind of guys. But there's always time. I don't feel like I think that in today's day and age, I know this may be getting a little off topic, but in today's day and age, I think with the social media era, so many guys want to put out there and they see their buddies, hey, I'm committed to here. Hey, I signed here. And they want to jump the gun. Ah, I'm not signed yet. And they want to pan it. I've signed guys in August for that yeah. season. You know, there's there's places and there's you just got to keep pounding the pavement and try to find the right fit for you. But I don't hit panic mode too early. Yeah, that's that's great insight. You know, you talk about social media and how that has expanded your horizon as a coach. It also means that guys, you know, they're competing against more guys. And, um, Absolutely. and some, sometimes it takes longer to find that fit. So for you, what are some of the things that you're looking for from players on the recruiting trail that's going to separate them from the pack? So let's let's start off, actually, since you mentioned video. Let's talk about video. What are some of the things that you're looking for in video when a guy sends you a, a recruiting video? You know, I don't need a 10 minute long video. Uh, typically, we watch every video that comes across our desk. We may be a little different in that aspect. I can usually tell you within about 30 seconds if I want to continue to watch that video or not. But right. a short three, you know, three minute video is, is really what I need. If you're a, if you're an infielder, let me see some balls at you. Let me see some forehands and backhands, couple slow rollers. Um, you know, I want to see your open side hitting. I want to see you hitting from behind some clips there. You know, some things that I try to tell guys to stay away from. Game footage is great, but if it's the game footage from the top of the press box that's on huddle from a hundred feet away, <laughs> I can't I can't see anything with that. It, you know, and guys put that on there. Oh, you're doubling the gap. Well, I can't even see the ball. Right. So that's that's good. Congratulations. The other thing I try to tell guys to just be a little cognizant of, and I I, I love our moms because we've got some great moms in our program. But sometimes I don't realize the volume's turned up on my computer, and I click on I click on Johnny's video, and and mom is just screeching in my ear because Johnny just busted a triple in the gap you know and her baby did great so just be cognizant of those things I try to tell our guys you know um and and I don't need anything that's just too long I want to see the basics because like I told guys I'm not watching this video to sign you I'm watching this video to see if I like you then I'm going to try to get out I mean we've got a guy that's at Ole Miss right now and, and coming out of high school he, he was one of those guys I signed in June after he graduated he had one D2 JUCO offer way up north and this is a Houston kid sends me video. I like him. He comes in here. He, he busts his tail. He's one of the hardest workers I ever had. And he was, he was second, you know, um, in innings pitched out of the bullpen for Ole Miss this year. My everyday center fielder for two years, I found him. He sent me a video. He's from Spokane, Washington. He started every day in center field for Rice this year, you know, so that was our initial um, meeting of those guys, our initial, you know, uh, site. But allowed us to say, Hey, I really like that guy. I just don't need, I don't need too much. I want something basic, but enough to show me your actions. Yeah. Actions. You're looking for movement patterns. You're just trying to get that, that eyeball, see if they pass the eyeball test and see if you want to see. Absolutely. And then when you go out to watch a guy, maybe you're following up on a video or you're, you're catching a guy for the first time. What are some of the things you're looking for in person? You know, yeah, I think you kind of touched on this earlier. What are some things that may separate a guy from another guy and, and some things that we're going to look for? You know, a lot of the times when I go, especially if you're in the high school season, when I'm able to, to get out and they're, they're going to take in and out or maybe BP, you know, tournaments are a little different where it's, hey, ball games over 20 minutes, we're rolling. But I may go, I'm probably going to get there an hour early. A lot of times I may not even tell the guy I'm coming because I want to see how he approaches the game prior to is he just sitting outside of the dugout, hanging out, jacking around, or is he, you know, taking taking his his infield reps with intent? What is he doing prior to the game to prepare himself? You know, I want to see guys. I want to see how they they face adversity. If you strike out, are you walking back to the dugout and, and you're throwing your bat and helmet and pouting in the corner, or are you putting your stuff up, getting back on the rail and pulling for the next guy up, hoping that he gets the knock that you guys need to win the game? Um, I think that. A lot of times now, there's a lot of different, a lot of people have voices now with social media. Some, I don't know if I should, but a lot of people do. And, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a certain group out there that they think that, you know, it's eyewash to, to hustle on and off the field and to leg out, a, a, you know, a, 
a rollover. And I don't think that's true. And maybe I, for being a younger coach, I am an old school guy. You know, I grew up in, on those days of that's how the game was played. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things that I'm having to continue to grow on with the analytics and some of the data and some of those sorts of things, but I'm not going to sacrifice what I believe the game is about. And so, you know, dog days of summer and you've played three games in Texas on 110 degree heat on that turf, which is about 140. That guy that's still hustling on and off the field at the end of the day, he's going to catch my eye. That guy who legs out that pop-up and ends up with a double because the sun got in the right fielder's eye, that's my kind of guy. So those are the little things that we're kind of looking for, you know, just to, as far as the intangibles, the things that, you know, are not necessarily the, the baseball-specific skill set, um, but some things that guys can do to separate themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, it, I joke about it too. You know, everyone, whether you call it eyewash or not, if that kid busted out to his position at a full sprint every single time, you're going to look at the roster and at least check who he is. Absolutely. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a guy this year, he was a freshman for us, and I, I didn't teach him this. He came in this way, and on, on ball four, he Pete Roses it, man. He's down the line. And, you know, one game, he had a rough game, and, and that game, I, he, he didn't do it. And I said, hey, man, that's who you are. You know, somebody, some guys may laugh at it and that's fine, but it fires me up. You know, that, that's just, that's who he is. He's that hustle guy. And that's why he's so successful. He's going to leg out some, some doubles and do some things that you wouldn't think he does because he's going to press the issue and he's going to try to give it all he's got. And so I definitely, I think that it's, you know, it's something to be said for that. Yeah. Hey, I mean, that, that might not get you on a roster. You might not be good enough to play at a certain level, but it's certainly going to give you a look from, from coaches and they're going to know who you are. Definitely. Um, Is there anything, you know, characteristics or attributes and recruits that you really value that might surprise a player or parent listening to this? Yeah. Um, Once again, being said that we're kind of an old school and, and, and I am Southern, you know, I'm a, I'm a yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir kind of guy. So my guys are going to be that way. Um, you know, I'll have, I'll have people we work with. Don't call me a ma'am. And I, I'm going to call you ma'am because if I don't, mama may come around the corner and get a hold of me. Um, <laughs> you know, but I like, I like guys who, who have manners, who are respect, you know, respectful. I want guys who are loyal. I think in this day and age, being loyal, is there something to be said for that? A lot of guys in, in today's times, when things don't go their way, they want to jump ship or they want to point the finger at somebody else. But there's something to be said for that guy that, hey, this I'm a part of this. We're a part of this. We're together and we're going to stick it out together. Loyalty goes a long way for me. Um, you know, being respectful, being loyal, those are two big things that we really like to see. Um, guys who who have an ability to to communicate. I think communication is a lost art in today's world. And I tell our guys, I feel like 95% of our problems can be solved with communication. And so, you know, in an era where everybody's glued to their phone and their thumbs can communicate really good, (laughs) I want to see a guy who can lock eyes and who can carry on a conversation. And, you know, when I can find that, I know that I can, that's a guy that we can work through things if things aren't going well, because we have that ability to talk and communicate. Yeah, I love that. How about the flip side of that? And you, you alluded to some of the mistakes that recruits make, but is there anything that, you know, you're looking for that, that recruits should avoid any, any major mistakes you see as a pattern? Um, you know, I think there's a difference. Obviously this has been said plenty of times. I think there's a difference in confident and cocky. Uh, I don't want a cocky guy. I don't want a guy who thinks that when he walks out there, he's just better than everybody on the field. Maybe he is, but I want a guy that's confident in his abilities, but that's not going to show somebody up. You know, I think the guys who want to go out there, um, if you're talking on a recruiting trail, I mean, we can hit that with, you know, I don't want a guy when I'm out watching summer ball that's going to sit there and turn around and say something to the umpire or holler at the umpire, um, you know, and not be able to rein that in. That's something that's going to get you scratched off the list. Um, I, I tell a, uh, I tell a story regularly to recruits when I talk and, you know, two years ago I was at a tournament and I was walking down to the backfields and this, this mom and her son come around the, around the corner and mom's carrying, she's carrying both chairs. She's carrying his bag, the ice chest, and the kid's not carrying anything. He just finished playing. And mom said, why am I carrying everything? And he says something and she said, what? And he goes ever, and just keeps on walking and mom stopped carrying everything. 
you know, I, I stopped. I pulled my roster book out. I looked at his team. I turned around, got his number, and scratched him right off. I mean, you're going to disrespect your mom like that. And I, I really, it's not a guy I want in my program. You know, um, I, recruits don't really understand how, how much we're looking at off the field, in the dugout, in those areas. And I know coaches tell them that, recruiting, you know, recruiters tell them that, but they don't really believe it. And until I guess their name gets scratched off that list and maybe they can't find a place to play and then wonder, well, why can't I? Well, what are you doing outside of the box and outside of, you know, your defensive position that's going on? Something's causing that. So those are a couple of things that just for me, it's a no, no. Yeah, definitely. Heard, heard that repeatedly from just about every coach we have on here. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's things that you want to avoid. We'll, we'll get into that a little more later, but you know, a couple more recruiting questions. Want to do one more and then maybe give you some rapid fire ones, put you uh, awesome. in, the, in the hot seat, but okay. walk us through what a typical recruitment looks like from your end. So what's the first step that happens when you see a player that you like, and then what's, what's that natural progression for actually recruiting a player from the time of that initial interest to the time that he gets to campus as a dragon? So typically what we'll do is if I see a guy we like, you know, I mean, if we're out in the weekend, there'll be me multiple guys. My initial, my initial contact will probably be a text message. Um, hey, you know, saw you played this weekend, really liked what we saw, would love to set up a phone call with you and tell you a little bit more about our program. Then we would move forward. We set up a time that week, hopefully get on the phone, talk a little bit. Things go well. We feel like he could be a fit for us, and he feels like we could be a fit for him. I'm going to want to set up a campus visit. Um, you know, we'll bring him on campus, hopefully have, you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever's with him um, come on campus, see what we like. We want to make sure we get a good vibe, and he's got a good vibe with us, and we like what we see. Maybe an offer comes out of that at the end of that visit. If it does, then, you know, we're going to continue to to reach out. We're going to continue to touch base, continue to build that relationship over time. Um, you know, and, and we try to we, we try to make these guys understand, like, hey, this is what we are. We're not used car salesmen. This is what you're going to get when you come to our program. I think we're very blue collar. I think that's what a lot of guys like about it here. You know, I want to make sure they have all the answers. They know what town, what, what Paris, the, the town is like. They know you know, everything they need to know about the dorms. I want guys to, to come here. I tell them all the time, if you're 99% sure you want to come to Paris, don't come to Paris. If you're not 100% in, I don't want you. But I want everybody to have all the information they possibly need in order to make an educated decision. And so, you know, I tell them there'll be times that mom or dad will reach out with some more questions, and that's great, and we'll answer those questions and continue to build. Hopefully we get that commitment once we do. If it's if, if signing date is already open, then, you know, we'll get them their letter of intent. We'll get them signed. And then, you know, we'll continue to communicate, follow them over the spring. I want updates on how your, how your week's going, how'd your game go. Build it into the summer until, you know, we can get them the information that they need to get on campus and get them here in August and ready to rock and roll. Yeah, and that information gathering step is such a critical part. Is there – can you think of one or two questions that you get asked or, you know, the best questions that you get asked at a, at a recruit, regardless of whether it's your program or another one that they should ask? Um, yeah, so I, I think particularly in the junior college ranks for sure, and, and it, at a lot of NCAA schools, I think one of the things that people don't really know a lot about and I try to educate them on is one of the things you need to know is how many guys are they bringing in in the fall? You know, yeah. that's that's something that you really should need to know. We're different. We only bring in 35 guys. We have a small staff, and I feel like that's what we can do to handle true development, which is why you're coming to junior college into our program is because you're here to develop. There's some places that bring in 70, 80, 90. Now, some of those have a JV, and so you're going to get time on a JV. But, you know, sometimes you get into a situation where you don't know how many they're bringing in. You get there, and there's, you know, 40 guys getting cut loose in December. And now you're right back in the same boat over Christmas break with a a three-week span of trying to find somewhere else to go play. I think that's one of the things that people don't don't find out enough information on. I think that you need to know, you know, hey, what's your roster look like? You know, at my position, where, where are you sitting? You know, is there six guys ahead of you when you're coming in? That's right. something you need to know. 
Um, you know, I, but I think for me, the number one, the big thing that, that people should make sure they understand and, and find out is how many are they bringing in on the fall roster? Yeah. Want to know your opportunity, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, obviously not a great, great thing when you get to a program and you have to reset after, you know, three or four months. So, all right. You're warmed up, man. Let's, uh, I'm going to throw you some rapid fire recruiting questions. They're all going to end in a blank. You can either throw a word or a phrase or just run with it however you want, but I'll just hit you, hit you one after the other. We've got, uh, let's see five lined up for you here. So perfect. Ready? Let's go. I will cross a player off my recruiting list. If I see their parents do blank bash their coaches on social media the most important thing for a recruit to do when contacting a college coach for the first time is blank give an actual introduction and a biography a a short synopsis of yourself if a recruit doesn't hear back from a program of interest the first time they reach out their next step should be to blank give give them 48 72 hours and try to reach out again the biggest key to a successful transition to college baseball is blank. Humility. The best part about college baseball is blank. Getting to keep playing baseball. Love it, man. You even threw our, our <laughs> name in there. That's a, that's a high level answer right there. That's next, next level, right? <laughs> yep. There you go. Um, let's pull back the curtains on your program. Um, we've talked, talked a little bit about it, but, Tell us what the pillars about, you know, the pillars are for Paris JC baseball and, and kind of break it down for us. You know, um, some of the things we really build on are our community commitment. Um, I think that commitment's a big one for us. And when we say commit, it's not just to, to the team. You know, we, I want you to commit to the program. I want you to commit to the academics. I want you to commit to community service. I want you to commit to this town, to this institution. Um, commitment goes a long way uh, for us. That's a big part of what we do. Um, you know, community is huge for us. We, we, try to, we try to support all the sports on campus. We try to go out and, and do as much community service as possible. We do a lot in the spring. We actually give um, extra points in our, in our fall uh, Grand Junction challenge for teams going out and, you know, and, and volunteering. We get a lot of guys that, that volunteer at the animal shelter, the the food bank in town, the coat drive. Those are things that I feel like when you build with the community and the community supports you, it's just, it, there's, there's a different level of, of uh, awareness there and, and having those, those community members that may not have any ties, you know, there's no, relatives on the team but they want to come out and support you and be a part of it that really makes it special for these guys um you know guys that that are here to to do the right things and be a part of each other it we we break it out all the time to family and i truly do feel like it is a brotherhood you know i there's guys that i i had on that 17 team that i literally talk to almost every day still two three years later and that's what i want you know i want guys that when they leave here it was the best two years that they ever had, you know, on and off the field. It was just, there's something different about it. Um, Those are the things that we try to build around, really building around the person themselves and not just the ball player. Awesome. And you mentioned in, in the rapid fire, you mentioned humility as being a key to a successful transition to college. So if a high school kid is out there listening to this and they're going to be going to Paris or they're going to go to another Juco next year, dive into that break down that humility a little bit more what you know what tips do you have for them for making that transition successful i i call it the deception factor and we talk about it in our very first team meeting the day the guys move on campus we have a team meeting that night and what i mean by that is everybody in that clubhouse was the best player on their team you know every hitter was the four hole every pitcher was the number one well now you're in a spot where every guy was that guy and so if you come in here thinking that you're still the best guy that, that, that's ever walked and you have that, that if you were bred that in high school and everybody just, you know, was, was groveling around you, hey, this is our guy. You know, if you have that mentality when you come in here, you're going to get fed to the wolves. You better have some humility about you and just be ready to put your head down and go to work, because if not, you're going to get eaten up. 
I need guys to understand that, hey, you know what? Yeah, you started every Friday night game for three years in high school, but you may be best suited as our setup guy. And that's tough for pitchers that, you know, in high school, most of the guys that we get and we sign were starters and they went that they went deep and they were the guy. Well, sometimes that guy coming in to get that ground ball in the eighth with, you know, the base loaded to get us a pair, that's just as big as the guy who started that game or the guy that got us in that situation. So having some humility about yourself to, yes, I want a guy, and, and don't take that the wrong way, that I don't want you to be confident and think you're a good ball player. I do, but you need to be able to come in, put your head down, and go to work because what you did the last four years doesn't matter anymore because everybody else did those same things. Everybody in there was all conference, all district, all state. Now you're in a room full of those guys. You know, it, it, it's, you know, little fish in a big pond now. And so having an understanding for that, I think if you can grasp that going in, I think you're ahead of the game a little bit. Because otherwise you may be two weeks in and just get punched in the face feeling like, man, what is going on? I may not be the player I think I am. But if you go in with the attitude of, hey, I can do it, but I've got to go to work and just put my head down, keep my nose to the grindstone and my mouth shut, then you got a chance. Yeah, can't let can't let that talent dictate your work ethic. I follow up story, you know, Andrew Vaughn, top draft pick this year, Golden Spikes winner mm-hmm. two years ago. Uh, you talk to just about anyone in that Cal program, they'll tell you that he's the guy who works the hardest. He, you know, you would never be able to tell from his work ethic, from the way that he acts, that he's too big for anything, you know, that that he would be the guy on that team. And that's the way you want your, your leaders to be. So. And that's, and that's why he is where he is. Yeah. makes perfect sense. Um, Academics, man, you guys are crushing it in the classroom. So now your program has an outstanding academic, academic reputation, constantly in the top for best team GPA. How big of a role does academics play in the recruitment of players or is that academic success? Is that something you know, a transformation that happens when you guys get them on campus. How, how is that taking place? So um, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, most of the guys that come in have a, have a good or a decent GPA, but I don't worry about their high school GPA because, you know, we're going we're gonna to help them be successful in the classroom. The big reason we do this, and I tell every recruit when they get to campus and their parents, you know, those parents have made such an investment, especially in today's day and age and in, in their in their career and getting a scholarship or whether it's academic, athletic, being able to get a degree because of that. That's a return on investment. And for me, when you leave junior college with a 3-0 or better, nine times out of 10, you're going to get academic on top of your athletic. I mean, last year with 15 sophomores, we had one hundred and five thousand dollars just in academic money alone, not even counting their athletic. So. That's a big reason that we try to push that. It's not because, you know, we're just, I mean, at the end of the day, these guys, that's what's going to carry them in life is their degree. But if we have an opportunity to help them at home and help their parents afford it, then why would we not? And people ask me all the time, you know, they say, hey, like, what's your secret? What do you do? How, you know, why are you guys so good in the classroom? We've been back to back runner-up behind Daytona State. I think Daytona State's been 10 years in a row. One of these days, we're going to catch them. Um, you know, we've been sec- second in the country two years in a row in GPA and team GPA. And I tell them my, my true belief on the reason that we are the way we are with that is because I'm a firm believer in what you, what you expect is what you're going to get. And that goes in all aspects of life. It goes in all aspects of baseball. If I expect my guys to go to class, take their hats off in academic buildings, sit in the front two rows, stay off their phones, if that is an expectation and that they know that, that's what they're going to do. I've got guys that, that came out of high school with two five GPAs that leave here as academic All-Americans because now it is an expectation. You will do good in the classroom. You know, If you don't, that's one of the quickest ways to find your way out of our program. Go not take care of business. You know, it's a smaller community college. So those professors really know what we, how we strive on academics and they'll let me know, Hey, so-and-so has been playing games on the laptop. Guess what? You're not taking your laptop to class the next two weeks. You're going to go take a notepad and take old school notes. And when you, when you set something up and you tell them, this is what the expectation is. They want to be successful. They want to be successful for you. They want you to be happy for them and be pleased with them. That's what they're going to do. And so that's what we do. Hey, we're going to expect you to be successful in the classroom. You know what? If, if you're struggling in a class or you're below a C in a class, you're going to get extra tutoring mandatory on top of our weekly study hall. 
but you don't, you don't want to get three hours of extra tutoring, then take care of business in the classroom and you won't have to. And so all of that plays into it. Um, but you know, it all goes back to the end of the day that, you know, these degrees are what's going to carry them in life when they get done with baseball, whether they make it to the big leagues or they're done after junior college, that and the opportunity to get money to go to school is why we push that so hard. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you've had a ton of success moving guys to the next level at high levels, high, high level programs. What are you doing to make sure these guys are in the right classes and academically eligible to transfer? Cause I think, you know, I've seen it from the, the D one side where, Hey, there's a player I like, I look at their transcript and there's no way that he's going to be able to transfer to me. So what are you guys doing to make sure they're checking those boxes? I've got to, I've got to give credit to our academic advising department. They are, they're awesome. Um, you know, when we obviously pay really close attention to it, but when I get in and I tell them, you know, if we've got to transfer, Hey, this guy's got two semesters to get out of here. You tell me what he needs. They draw it up. Here's a two semester block, man. He's going to have to take this and this. Maybe we take a mini semester here, but they give me the plan of attack. All our freshmen come in with a four semester block of here's their classes for every semester. So you come in knowing this is what you're going to take. We don't take classes here just to stay eligible. We take classes to get you your associate's degree. You know, in Texas, 60 is an associate's, 120 is a bachelor's. So that's 60 hours. You're going to get that while you're here. And you're going to get out with a degree. And so our academic advising department has been great for us on that with making sure that our guys are in the right classes and doing those things. Of course, we double check that. We're going to transfer classes where we can and make sure, you know, if a guy comes in with dual credit classes from high school, so say he's already coming in with a lot of hours, which makes it tough. Some schools only, a lot of schools only take 60 hours. But some schools will take 80 or 90. So when he gets to his sophomore year and we've got some, some schools pegged or that he wants to go to or maybe he's already committed, then I'm going to find classes that will transfer to that institution. We're going to go to the next step and try to see how many we can transfer instead of just putting him in underwater basket weaving, you know, and, and whatever we need. <laughs> we're we're going to get him in those classes that we hope do transfer if, if he can take more than 60 hours with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is there, you know, and it doesn't sound like you have many guys who come into your program and then don't end up playing baseball unless it's on their, you know, their own decision for other reasons. Yes, sir. So so what are these common characteristics you see with these kids? Is it, is it buying into your program and just rolling their sleeves up and getting to work? Or is there, is there a quality, is there a characteristic that a kid listening to this out there can try and emulate when he gets to a program so that he makes sure he has success? You know, I think that it is. It's buying in and being where your feet are. As cliche as that may have become, I do think that that's something that you really have to dig into. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. Sometimes guys get places and it's not going the way they want it to go, so they let that affect their work ethic or they slack off or they, you know, instead of going to and getting a lift in on their own, they stay in the dorm and play Fortnite. You control you. You know, it's tough for a coach. We have to, I have to watch out for 35 guys. I have to take care of 35 guys' paperwork. You know, if this guy's sick, I got to take care of him. You have to take care of you. So having that initiative and that drive that this is what I want to do, that's the big thing. But yeah, I do think that, you know, do we develop players? I would like to think so. I would like to think that as players come in here, they get better. But is it because of me? No, it's because of they come in here and they buy into what we're doing and they work. The guys who have, have played power five baseball and the guys who have moved on, you know, to, to, to get drafted and do those things, they separate themselves. Yeah, obviously there's a talent level there. And that's the reason that one of the big reasons that they're able to continue to move on. But those guys have a work ethic that has separated them from the pack. And coming in, buying in, being where your feet are and being humble in the, in the respect that, you know what, I need to be coachable. Maybe this isn't the way that I've always done it, but sometimes maybe it takes that change of doing something a little different to maybe turn the corner. And I think all those are things that can play into that role of being able to continue to, to your career and develop down the road. Sure. And what, so what does that daily schedule look like? What is the daily life of of one of your guys look like from the time that they wake up in the morning to the time that their head hits the pillow at night. It's, it's a long day. And that's one of the things that I, you know, a lot of people don't realize is, 
in junior college, there's zero restrictions, man, on, on time, time constraints and those type things, practice hours. Now I'll tell you this, I could take you out there and practice you from two in the afternoon until 10 at night. It's not going to do us any good. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. But, you know, back in the day, I mean, there's still small school guys. That, hey, you know what? We're going to get it right. And we're going to go eight hours. We got to go eight hours. Yeah. For us, you're going to get up. You're going to get up and you're going to go to class, um, you know, roughly anywhere from eight to 12, two to three classes in the morning. We're going to cut you loose for lunch. Usually about 1.30, we'll get ready to JST, which is our jog stretch throw. Um, you know, our guys have the pra- they have practice plan posted in the, in the clubhouse and in the, in the dugout before practice with everything that's needed. They all have their daily jobs. So everything should be set up and ready to go when we hit the track for JST. We'll practice roughly anywhere three, three and a half hours, four on a really long day. That doesn't happen very often. But from there, we'll typically cut you loose for, for dinner. You go get some dinner, and we may have study hall and weights. Now, we're going to, in the fall, we're going to lift three days a week, and we're going to do yoga three nights a week. Uh, we really felt like we implemented that yoga three days a week the entire year this year, and I think our injuries overall were down. Obviously, our flexibility was up. So a lot of great things that we found from that. Um, and then we're going to move in. Once we get into October, we're going to hit the offseason hard. We truly buy into the weight room. I think that our offseason program is one of the best in the country. Uh, one of my former assistant coaches helped build it. We've built off of it, and it's really been good for us. We're going to lift five days a week in that in that October, late October to December period and continue to roll. Once we get back into the spring, we're going to go you know, three days a week to three days a week um yoga and and weights now i'll tell you as far as for us there's a lot of places that you're up 5 a.m and you're lifting at 5 a.m every morning i'm not a big guy on that and i think that a i don't think these guys are getting enough sleep as it is a lot of the time everybody living in a dorm playing playstation doing those things up late studying for a test they're not getting they're not getting enough sleep they're not getting breakfast in them before they get weight so we may throw in a five or six a.m lift or yoga here and there but i'm not going to do it every day i think it's going to beat down the body more than it's going to build up the body i think a big part of it with our weightlifting and with with guys that don't understand is yeah everybody wants to lift and get big they think that's the key to success lifting is one of the three things sleep which is recovery and nutrition are the other two. And if you don't have those two, I don't care how much you're lifting, you're not going to, you're not going to get where you need to be. And so we try to, we try to do those things. In fact, we've got a, we've got a clubhouse spread that my double A guys will tell you makes, it makes them envious. They wish they had it in double A. Um, we've really tried to buy into the nutrition and give these guys the fuel they need to help their bodies. Um, but all of that kind of runs together. You know, it's going to be a long day. You're going to get up at seven in the morning and you're probably not going to get back to the bed a lot of days till eight or nine at night. Um, you know, so it's up to you to really figure out how time management works because you're getting thrown into the mix. You're not just a regular student with three classes a day, you know, and get to go sleep and do some other things, whatever you want to do. You've got a lot going on. Yeah. I love the picture you're painting because it, it really hit for me, it hits home. If I'm a, if I'm a high school player listening to this, if I'm a parent listening to this, I'm starting to understand the importance of asking questions. I'm starting to understand the importance of really getting the complete picture of what life is like as a college baseball player at XYZ school, right? At Paris JC, really doing a great job of, of painting that picture and also highlight, hi- highlighting the importance of, Hey, you know, these are the three things that we, we need to take care of. And this is how we're going to take care of all three of those. So I love that. Now, if I were to stumble into one of your practices in the middle of your work, let's say offense, we'll start with offense from a baseball perspective. What are some of the things that I'm going to see? What are some of the the foundational drills, the everyday drills, everyday activities that I'm going to be able to, to witness if I just walk in in the middle of offensive work? You know, we're continually trying to grow. I think having a growth mindset and, and being a lifelong learner is something that continues to, to help improve your program. And for us, you know, this year, I mean, we led the conference in triples, home runs, stolen bases, walks. I mean, we, we really we really did some things offensively. But we also, to be just completely transparent, led the country in strikeouts. And, you know, a lot of times I think that, in my opinion, in today's age, and I'm not going to get into hashtag hitting Twitter debates because that's just <laughs> not my, my area, but I think that there's so much video and so much technology right now that so many people 
are so worried about just having the perfect mechanical swing and the perfect bat path and all of these things. And I think what goes by the wayside is pitch recognition. I tell guys that all the time, I don't care if you've got the prettiest swing in the world. If you're swinging at a 58 foot, a 58 foot breaker in the dirt and then an elevated fastball above your eyes, it's not going to matter. And so I think this year you're really going to see when you come in, a lot more pitch recognition and hand-eye type things in our cage work before we head out to to on-field BP uh, because I think that's one of the areas that we struggle with the most. And so if that's where we struggle, that's where we need to get better. Um, one of the things I, I, I don't like to be a guy that just goes out there and, hey, we're going to take three rounds of five today or whatever it may be. I, I like to try to mix. We have a, a number of different BPs that we can use, whether it's lightning BP, whether it's route 440, uh, whether it's great wall, whatever it may be, there's a number of different things we try to do to break up the monotony other than just going out there and taking BP. And I think there is a, something to be said that, you know, luckily I've got a, I've got a young pitching coach who played for me at West Alabama and with the Brass Valley Bombers. And, you know, he was a, he was a hell of a pitcher at 92, 94 with a hammer. And so he still got a little juice in there. And I think this year we're going to try to amp it up a little bit. I think that, getting too comfortable in BP uh, is causing some problems. Now, I think there's, there's, you know, there's that school of thought that, hey, BP has got to be hard. We've got to get better here. But I think there is something, too, to being under control and being comfortable and finding your niche. And so I think we're going to have to kind of play with that a little bit this fall and see what we can do. But for me right now, you're going to see a lot more pitch recognition, some standing in and bullpens. I think we may even have some video work with some, some eye training stuff as one of the stations in arcade rotation this fall, um, just to try to implement that and do some things that can help us continue. You know, we're a big pressure, pressure, pressure on offense. We've been top 10 in the country every year in stolen bases. Um, you know, we can push and drag as well as, you know, we've been, we've been top 10 in the country in stolen bases and top 30 or 40 every year in home runs. So we've got a nice combo of speed and power. We've just got to continue to find a way to make sure that we're getting our timely hits when we need them. So I think you're going to see a few changes in, in the way we're doing some things offensively this fall. Couldn't be any green light special influence, could it be? Oh, I, I think it could, <laughs> you know. Uh, me me and Tyler Gillum rooming together for three summers, um, you know, there's a lot of similarities in what we do and, you know, constantly kicking ideas back and forth off of each other and racing each other in all kinds of categories statistically that, mean, you know, mean a lot to us. And so definitely he's had he's had a ton of influence on me and what I do in my program. Yeah, starting to starting to pick up on some of that. Love it. <laughs> We're going to have to get him on the podcast to swap, swap some stories. Um, <laughs> all right, man, let's let's get to it. We talked about it a little bit before we jumped on and recorded infield you're a big infield guy you've prevent you you presented on infield stuff at the abca convention you founded infield U. it would definitely be a swing and miss not to break that down so tell us what's what's infield U. break down what you're trying to do there so you know um kai Correa obviously has been a been a big influence in in what we do as well he's one of the best infield minds out there him and tuck i'd be i'd be remiss not to mention those guys when we talk about infield I, i've taken a lot of things from those guys as well as Gillum. and you know kai's had his friday fielders camps for a while and it was always something i kind of thought about i said you know man i I want to be able to to go out and and share our passion for infield play and be able to help develop young infielders coming up and, and elevate their game and, and help them take it to the next level. I think there's something to be said for a guy, you know, there's all these hitting camps and pitching camps, but when it's a hundred degrees in Texas in July and a guy's coming out for four hours to work on his defense, I think there's something to be said about that player. And I think that kid really wants to truly get better. And so I thought, you know, I've been for a few years, been kind of kicking this idea around. I grabbed all the social media um, tags and names and then luckily my wife, I mean, she's a, a, an unbelievable business mind. She owns her own wedding and event planning company. And so we started talking about it last year and she put together the business plan and did all the work behind the doors. You know, she, she's got the business side of things. And as far as even to, to checking everybody into camp and I've got the baseball side of it. So it's a great, you know, it's teamwork there and, and she's really helped me get this thing off the ground. And so it's ours, you know, it's not mine. It's, it, it's ours. And, 
Um, it's an opportunity for guys to come out and help try to elevate their game as an infielder on the dirt and just thought there was something there. I mean, you know, nobody does that down here, and we wanted to be able to present that to guys and give guys that opportunity to work as an infielder and help them you know, continue to improve their game. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And we've, we've had, this is our inaugural summer and we just today actually finished our sixth camp of the summer, um, you know, hoping to push forward and continue to grow this thing as we move forward with it. Well, congrats on that. And congrats on being a great recruiter because rec- <laughs> recruiting a wife who's a wedding planner, that's a dream, dream come through, come true. <laughs> no, no doubt. I didn't have to do much. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well planned. Um, we we mentioned on the on the call before we started recording. You said during the camp that it'll sometimes even a couple hours go by before your infielders start throwing. So, what is the foundation of your work with these infielders? What are the progressions and the drills that you're running through? Just walk us through kind of what you see as important in terms of setting up the foundation for being a quality infielder. You know, we start right away with with just posture and and um, you know uh, everything, building it from from our stance to our glove presentation to our we move into pre pitch routine and prep step, which I don't think enough guys have right now in today's day and age. I think it's something that's overlooked at the younger level. Uh, then we move it. You know, we're going to move forward into. Just every aspect of it, we're going to talk about getting on, you know, on direction and gaining distance. We're going to talk about different things and, and ways we're moving the ball around the field. And um, we're literally going to break it down from from we start with posture all the way until we're taking ground balls in that last hour. We don't. We don't even throw until about, oh, man, around the, the third to fourth hour of camp. You know, it's one of those things. Now, our catch play, I'll tell them when we get there, is the biggest part of our day at PJC. But I want to break down everything and progress everything. What we do is typically on a progression scale. We build and build and build and build and build until that last hour when we can finally put it all together and see it come to fruition. And so that's kind of how we start. We start with the very basics of it, and then we're going to walk through until we get to, you know, we're we're turning double plays at the end of camp and doing some rolled series. So uh, we're going to hit everything we possibly can in a four-hour stretch. How much time are you spending on – drills that are pushing them at game speed drills that are pushing them beyond game speed you know honestly at camp we we, we we're breaking things down so much that i like to do a lot of things that are drills that one-on-one these guys can take home with them whether it's their buddy down the street or mom dad aunt uncle can go to the park and work with them on so maybe it's not as many game type speed drills but now when it comes to pjc and we're in a full-fledged practice yeah, absolutely. What I want to do is my thing is I want to elevate the heart rate as much as possible. I want these guys to get their heart rate up. I want to get their adrenaline up because I feel like if you can make plays under those situations, under those scenarios, that when the game gets there, you have a chance to control your body, control your breathing and your heart rate and able to slow things down and make the play. So we'll do a lot of things that we're trying to speed it up and get your heart rate up. So you're able to learn how to control that. Um, that's a huge part of what we do. I think the more game-like reps you can get, the better off you are. You know, we're going to do a lot of things when we play our double play game. It's going to be a toss to the fungo, so you don't know where the ball's going. I don't, you know, I don't like to just sit there and hit rep after rep at the same guy. I think there's times for that, but I want things to simulate a game as much as possible because that's what you're going to get. You know, if we're getting comfortable just taking GBs and you know what we're doing every time with it, I want to have some, some, some variety with it, some variation. I want random opportunities. Those are the things that are going to help us be able to control our mind and do things during a game that we wouldn't be able to do if we just sit out there and everything's nice and smooth in practice. So good. If I'm hearing you correctly, it's good, good balance of, slowing things down and speeding them up and making sure that the fundamentals are in place so that when you do speed it up, gotcha. Gotcha. So you mentioned you're, you're looking to give guys ideas that they can do on their own or maybe with a family member. Are you willing to share a a drill or two that you think are really important? Maybe a teaser, try and entice some kids to to come out to infield you. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, um, I think one of the big ones for us is our ladder series that we do. I think that 
I tell guys and I tell everybody at camp, especially those older campers that are in high school wanting to go play college baseball, I think one of the biggest trouble areas I see with high school infielders trying to make the transition to college is too many guys sitting back on their heels, not working through the baseball, not getting you know, on direction and gaining distance. They're letting the hop pick them. They're not picking the hop. All, you know, all of those things that go into that same aspect, um, you know, so we, we do a ladder series that I feel like truly forces you to get downhill as you come out of that ladder and work through. Then we're getting on, on direction and gaining distance in that same drill. You know, there's a multitude of different things that you can do on that ladder. You can go from just our straight ladder series to you can go to a forehand backhand. Um, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities to work on that. And at the same time, we're promoting athleticism with that speed ladder and our footwork. Um, you know, I love it because even at our practices, I, I make my first baseman, my 6'4", 250 guys, they're doing the ladder drill. I want to be able to promote athleticism as much as possible. And so those are some little things we can do. Obviously, we do our pick circuits and some of those things that we do on a daily basis. Those are things that, hey, you know what, if you've got a tennis ball in a wall, you can do this. And yeah. I want them to be able to take all of these things away and say, hey, I can do this on my own at home. I don't have to, you know, be at practice getting ground balls. You know, obviously game reps are great, but these are areas that I can make my hands better, make my feet better, improve my game on a daily basis. And I don't have to have a bunch of coaches around and players around to help me do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're building an infielder as if you're building a video game player, what's what's the one tool that you're going to make sure that you max out at a hundred right off the bat? One if physical I've only skill. got one, I've only got one, right? That's, I mean, I, I've got to build around this one. Yep. Who? If athleticism is one of those, I'm going to max out athleticism um, because I, here, here's what I believe. I believe in the Gary Gilmore notion that he dropped in Orlando. Um, uh, I guess it wasn't Orlando. Maybe it was Anaheim. Recruit the athlete, build the ball player. I think you, you, you can promote athleticism to a certain extent, but you can't necessarily teach it. I can I, I can teach you transition. I can teach you transfer. We can teach you footwork. We can get better at those. We can build arm strength and long toss and band and do those things. But being an athlete goes a really long way. And so I think that I would probably have to max out athleticism and then let's see what we can build from there. Love that. Love that. So is that the first thing you're evaluating when you're when you're looking at high school infielders? You're looking, hey, is this, I, is I, this a guy who moves well enough to play infield at my level? Definitely. I think so. Athleticism, fluidity, those type things that, you know what, hey, that guy moves well. He, he, he's loose. He's not rigid. He's not stiff. Um, that, that gives the opportunity, I think, for him to be able to come in and do some things. I think that the way we break things down, I think you're going to get better um, as an infielder overall. If you have some, some tools that we can work with, some athleticism, then we can, we can help build those tools around you and help support you. Love it, man. Love it. Well, I know we've, we've had you on here for about an, an hour, and while I would love to keep things rolling for a few more hours, I know you got things to do <laughs> and, and players to recruit. Got three more little questions for you. The first one, more about team culture and, and building your program. If you had three qualities you could choose to instill in all of your players or recruits, what would they be? Three. Um, I think we've mentioned a couple of them already. I think loyalty is a big one. Uh, I think honor, being an honorable person, um, being a good person, a good man, that's huge for us. And then I think respect, you know, respect for yourself, respect for your elders, respect for others. I think if you have those three things, I think that's going to carry you a long way, not just in baseball, but in the game of life. And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to build in our program. You know, I've said it a million times. I stole it from Andy Lopez. I think he's the first one that said it or the first one that I know that said it. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to have a lot more husbands and fathers in the world than I am major league baseball players. And so I want these guys to be ready when they go out to be good husbands, good fathers and contributing members of society. Those are the things that when they leave here, if they've got that and then, you know what, baseball is just a bonus. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. Going back to back to recruiting to kind of wrap things up there. If you could give one piece of advice on the college search and recruiting process to high school guy who wants to play at the college level, what would it be? 
best piece of advice? Take initiative. You know, I know a lot of people are paying a lot of money in today's day and world for, for recruiting services, for, for travel ball, for coaches that are promoting them. Take initiative. If you want to go play that bad, you need to take the initiative. I you know, it, nothing, nothing comes across to me um, and catches my eye as much as something that's a personal email that shows me that, hey, I really want to come play here. I've done my research. I've seen that you've done this, this, and this, and this program. I want to be a part of it. You can't just sit back and let somebody else and count on somebody else to get you where you want to go. You need to take the initiative. You need to be personal. That goes from, you know what, when you're sending emails, they need to come from you, not from mom and dad. Who wants this more, you or them? I want you to be able to put your future in your hands and not rely on somebody else to get you where you want to go. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like the answers to both of those could have been the answer to this next one. Um, but we like, we like to finish off by, uh, by just giving the guest an open mic, a chance to what we call mic drop their way off of the podcast. And, uh, so I just want to open it up to you. If there's anything we haven't covered, anything that you would want high school parents, players, and coaches out there listening to walk away with from this episode, open mic to you. I think players and coaches, this is something that, that somebody taught me a long time ago, an old coach taught me, don't think you've got all the answers. You know, there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. They'll tell you that. And I think that you need to be open and receptive. Your way may not be the best way. And if you think you know it all, then you're in for a rude awakening. You need to be able to be open-minded, be coachable, and be willing to accept the ideas of others and, and take all of those, be able to still, you know, the best ideas are stolen steal those ideas, mold them into your own, create something that's you, but be able to be receptive to other ideas and not shut everything out. Cause one of these days you're going to find an idea that really works. And it may be the one that can, can excel you to the next level and whatever that aspect may be, whether it's life, whether it's baseball, whether it's work, but just be able to be willing and be open to ideas and don't think, you know, at all. Pretty good mic drop right there, man. Um, really enjoyed having you on the podcast. I know uh, it's going to be really easy for, those out there listening to see why your programs had success, why guys are moving on to the next level. And we'll make sure that we throw some contact info, some info about uh, infield you onto the podcast notes, but really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk shop with us. Awesome. Hey, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, best of luck to all those out there. I hope you find a place to play. Just keep plugging. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode of the KPB podcast. If you find value in our podcast, please help us make it better. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a five-star rating. Write a review. All of that helps us get this information into the hands of those who need it most. We're always beyond excited to get questions and provide more information, you can reach us by email at keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Our Twitter DMs are open. That's at keepplayingbb. Same is true for our Instagram account. That's at keepplayingbaseball. And Facebook, keepplayingbaseball. We're always excited to help provide you with the information that you need to make educated decisions in the recruiting process and move towards your goal of playing college baseball. Don't hesitate to reach out if you need anything, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, take care.